Hey everyone, Nick here. Just wanted to pop in before this episode starts to give a quick shout out to our buddy Greg. Greg recently became our newest patron on Patreon and we are super stoked to have him. Greg is also one of the hosts of the fabulous podcast, First Issue Club. Truly wonderful and positive pillar of the comic book podcast scene, so check them out if you haven't. And check out our Patreon if it interests you. If you listen to the show, you probably know the spiel from the end. But we've recently put a lot more content on there, and uh, you get this show early, plus an exclusive bonus podcast and comic book movie commentaries every single month. Uh, You can join for as little as a dollar a month, and it truly helps us. It's never expected, but always appreciated. Thanks again, Greg. You rule. Your show rules. Now let's get to some Ant-Man. Welcome to None of My Friends Like Comics. This is a podcast where a comic book enthusiast talks to a friend about a piece of work in the medium, and we break it down to see if that friend, the first-time reader, will pull it or drop it. I'm your host, Nick Poffenberger, and my co-host today is David Nieves. What's up? What's up, man? How's it going? It, it's going, man. We just got through, like, we saw each other during the holidays. Yeah. And let me just ask you, man, have you ever seen so much liquid death that wasn't in a grocery store or on Instagram. <laughs> no, I was, I was telling Elena on our way home how impressed I was with how much liquid death was in there. I was like, he had all the flavors. No, <laughs> I like I, I, you know, like we know this stuff is not cheap. So like, yeah. you know, for months I keep an eye out on like, Oh, is it on sale? Is target have a 20% off? Like, you know, like I, Honestly, I might have even stolen one at the point. <laughs> I don't know, but like um it is. It's expensive, but it's good. It really is. It and is. that was like so many people that night. I was like, "Yeah, you want one? Take one." And so many people were like, "Oh, I've ne- I've seen this. I've never tried it." Yeah. <laughs> and then they try it and they're like, "Oh, this is good." I'm like, "Yeah, I don't I don't like really drinking soda that much anymore. I like drinking this." The can thing helps me a lot because I was an energy drink guy and and I still have one every so often, but that is that is definitely helping me stop. <laughs> You know, it's, like, it's totally a mental block thing. Like, you know, and I know it's just sparkling water, but it's it's good. And uh, the can thing helps me a lot. Oh, so. totally. And <laughs> like, oh, and, and just like the first time I had this, I was out in Ontario, California. I took it with me and I went through a, like a police like DUI stop. And the <laughs> Did cop, they think it was beer. <laughs> the cop like looked in there and it's like and it's this one with the black and gold. Yeah. And it's like, what's that? And I'm like, it's just water. And he's like, I lift it. He's like, let me see that. That looks like a beer. (laughs) And I'm like, no, it's literally just water. And he has to literally like look at it. And he's like trying to peel it away. Like there's something (laughs) like there's something there. And then like his buddy or whatever, he's like, have you ever heard of this water? He's like. No, I was literally there for seven minutes before they finally let me go. I'm like, just drink the thing. I don't have any diseases. Dude, every time that I buy a case of it at our local Target, 90% of the time, the worker at the self-checkout runs over to scan it as if they need to see my ID. And I'm like, I'm like, it's it's just water. It's just like, water. That, that's it. <laughs> All right, and that's Liquid Death Talk. This episode sponsored by Liquid Now. I wish <laughs> that'd be rad. I wouldn't be buying it from Target if it was sponsored by Liquid Death. But yeah, so <laughs> but yeah, so David, there's an Ant Man movie coming out. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's actually my birthday uh, weekend. That's really out. yeah. Oh, wait. Wait, when's your birthday? Uh, February 17th. Oh, it's the 22nd. Really? Yeah. Oh, shit. No way. 
<laughs> oh yeah so we're february birthday boys Damn, that's crazy. <laughs> I never that. All right. but yeah so ant-man and the wasp quantumania is coming out we're living in a world where there's going to be a trilogy of fucking ant-man movies that have come out which is astounding to me this is the the timeline we're in apparently. and I'm, I'm actually more excited for this one than i am for like some of those spider-man movies and everything like this is the first one that feels like it's not like the comedic you know, mouthwash of the Marvel universe. I'm sure, I'm sure it will have that, but like, I'm, it seems like it's going a different direction and I'm, I'm excited for it. I, I I've enjoyed too. the, jo- Oh, Jonathan movies. majors is going to fuck some people up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm ready to see him in full Kang, you know, like that's going to be awesome. But like I said, when, when this episode comes out, I think the release will be about a week away and uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm stoked for the new Ant-Man movie. So uh, I wanted to do something a little bit out of character for this show and do an actual timely episode where we release something kind of in conjunction. <laughs> with Our nemesis episode was so timely. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> well, that one's coming out next. So, but yeah, but, but yeah, so um, yeah, today we are talking about a book called Ant-Man Antiversary. And uh, this book comes to us from Marvel Comics. It's written by Al Ewing with art by Tom Riley, colors by Jordi Belair, and it's lettered by Corey Pettit. This miniseries premiered with issue one in July of 2022 and concluded with issue four in October of 2022. So it's a very recent book at the time of this recording. And um, a non-spoiler description for this one, uh, it's Ant-Man's birthday. Well, if, not in the book, but as, the as a character. The purpose of the <laughs> series is that it's Ant- Ant-Man's birthday. It's his 60th birthday yeah. in 2022, and uh, Al Ewing remembered that. So I guess Marvel was like, I mean, I guess you can have four issues. Sure. Right, <laughs> and uh, do, do you remember um oh, there's an old saturday night live sketch i think it's like i think it's like the death of Su- there's death of superman sketch or something where like they bring in all these comic book characters and i think like jim belushi is the hulk or something and garrett morris is playing ant-man and he's like i'm ant-man yeah <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> oh, old ant-man yeah he's it <laughs> <laughs> he's a he's a staple that's for sure and uh <laughs> i guess marvel was like oh yeah i guess it is ant-man's birthday go ahead yeah, al. okay yeah, and, we should do something i guess and al ewing just kind of ran with it and uh, this story is all about the past present and future of ant-man uh, the highs the lows and the many men who have worn the helmet and uh the mantle of ant-man and uh, you get to see them all cross paths and it's just a it's just a good old time um, so what did you expect going into this one david i mean did you really ever look at ant-man and think of it as a mantle <laughs> Like, I mean, it, it's it's like a uh, it's quaint. Ant-Man is quaint. It, it's, almost, think, yeah. it, it's almost more like a curse at some point than anything like, you know, powers aside and, you know, Spider-Man go like, oh, this is my powers are a curse sometimes. But like, no, I think getting saddled with the Ant-Man gimmick for a time was more <laughs> of a curse. Like you were always going to you're going to die. Yeah. You were going to be a horrible person. <laughs> Yeah. Or you were just going to be like a shady ass somebody doing villain, borderline villainous shit. Yeah. Yeah. Ant-Man um, uh, eats it. But in a way, I feel like it kind of makes Ant-Man as a character and as a mantle, no matter who's like wearing the helmet, like really interesting in the grand scheme of the Marvel Universe. Like at least going back and looking at it now, like this book does, it really puts it in perspective to me. <laughs> and like I was pretty stoked for this book because, really? yeah, because I've been an Al Ewing fan for a long time he's one of my favorite writers that marvel has retained you know mm. for, for a number of years and i always enjoy a book with his name on it this wasn't like super out of the ordinary but i did i did i do remember seeing like ewing doing ant-man and i was like ant-man really okay like you know i was like <laughs> See, I, don't, I don't think it was unexpected that he did 
Ant-Man. I so my big surprise was that going in, I never liked Hank Pym. Yeah. As, as a character, like, you know, because it was he was Ant-Man. He was Yellow Jacket. He's, you know, beats his wife. He didn't, he didn't like we have he fucking made Ultron. Yeah, he made Ultron <laughs> like he did all this like horrible shit and we still have to acknowledge him as a character and this is like he's important to the marvel universe and like that's what i thought this was going to be going in and to be like and to be fair this was probably the series that i'm that i was least excited to read and like i like al ewing i think honestly right now I don't know I would I don't know if I'd go as far as say like he's in the prime of his career but he's in that like point of his career that recently was belonged to Jeff Johns where like everything he did is like a hit and he yeah. brings these characters to relevance and because- P- and he's at that point where people recognize that mm-hmm. like because I feel like he was doing really great work before like um I had mentioned off the air earlier but um his run post secret wars on a, a book called ultimates and he followed that up with ultimates too and then you know he had his new avengers run and um uh, before that he did mighty avengers like starring luke cage and all that jazz mm-hmm. and um uh, I thought that those books were great and he had such a good handle on like the marvel universe as a whole and I think that's what makes him kind of special in terms of marvel is that like it's not just that he's a great writer he's good at working in this universe like he's good at working in these characters and like he knows his shit you know like it's 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 really reminiscent of like 60s and 70s marvel where like you had a writer that would do you know multiple characters on different books or different series and you know there were a handful of them that like knock them all out of the park every every one that they got yeah and that's what he is in right now no i 100 percent agree yeah i ewing is uh like i said one of my tops i will say just because just to bring it back to how you said you weren't very excited to read this book so you were not originally supposed to do this episode with me oh <laughs> and, uh, whoa. And, uh, i'm not this is news <laughs> to me <laughs> but i actually had recorded this episode with brett and max this book was sort of meant for them um, when i read it and i was like i was like I want to do this book with both of them because I think it'd be an interesting talk. And you know what? We did have an interesting talk. And then and it was a really good episode, I felt like. And then uh, uh, something happened and uh, the episode's just gone. So we're doing the classic re-record, but I did not want to fake not knowing their opinions. So I was like, David... You got to come through for me. And you did. So I appreciate I will, it. I will take Brett and Max's sloppy seconds, yes. I guess. I, I guess I love to hear my own voice. So. Yeah. But yeah. No, like it, it was cool, man. Like I honestly, I had forgotten that this had come out. Like it was on my list of stuff to read. But I mean, you know how it is when you get books every week. Yeah. Like that pile grows and some things just fall off your yeah. radar for a some while. things you're like i'm pulling too much shit right now i'll wait till this comes out and trade or whatever or it just sits in a stack forever you know it's I, I totally get it yeah it's like yeah and you just can't get to it because you're just a terrible comic book reader <laughs> and i if you're listening yes scott livingston i'm talking to you i texted scott the other day about human target 11 and i was like <laughs> i was like dude let me know when you read that new human target and and he was like it's gonna be a couple he was like i'm like seven weeks behind it i was like god damn it (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> but yeah, so, but yeah, no, I mean, just to say, I'll wrap it up here real quick and we'll go into the story section. But um, uh, just to say again, like um, I was kind of stoked for this book just because it was Ewing. And um, I was like, you know what? I'll at least give the first issue a shot. After reading the first one, I was like, if this is what the series is, sign me up. I'm good. <laughs> See, like, <laughs> oh no. Oh no. We're going to be on total opposites here. Like not, not, not that I didn't think like overall, like spoiler, like not that I didn't think overall it was good, but like, yeah, this, this first issue that we'll dive into, <laughs> I, it was a hard sell. Yeah, no. And I can understand that Max kind of felt that way too. I'm, I'll bring up what Max and Brett thought periodically through yeah. here, just, just to put it in perspective. Uh, Cause they had kind of, sort of opposite views, but they both ended up kind of liking it too. So, but, um, all right, so let's jump into the story section here. This is the part of the show where we recap the book in full detail and tell you what we think as we go along. That means full spoilers ahead. So you've been warned, uh, we start the story off and we're in the distant future and there's like a time code that tells us that it's 99 AU or 2549 AD. What do you think AU stands for? We'd find out in the fourth issue. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, so we see a, uh, scientist, who's studying a light construct of an ant. And uh, then he steps through this rectangular portal and he tumbles through time, passing images of past men who held the title of Ant-Man. He kind of arrives in like an alley and the art style shifts like to a classic Kirby style, you know, Jack Kirby. And uh, our uh, mysterious scientist kind of goes about his uh, his mission. And um, I want to say just on that first couple pages, what do you think of Ewing's uh, little meta like narrative boxes like i guess i could oh the whole like marvel <laughs> yeah. program and things <laughs> yeah, like that yeah. it's, I, it's it's cute it's not like you know it's not like unfamiliar territory for him because he does a lot of cheeky things yeah uh, especially like in mortal hulk like when you oh, yeah. when you finally got to the leader stuff and everything about it so it, i wasn't it wasn't unfamiliar territory but it does like it, it i think it really kind of it throws off the tone a little bit, but I, I'm I'm with it so far. And the fact that it like bookends the issues, mm-hmm. it kind of ties it all together, you know, like even with the style shifts, because uh, spoilers like but um, each issue is stylistically different, like to where like it reflects each era of Ant-Man as we focus on a different one. Uh, like but it's, a it's amazing that they all have the same artist, though. Tom Riley, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's so this is like and awesome. and like you know as he's talking about it and he's doing all these cheeky things in in the in the future opening of it like it does prepare you for like the style of art you're about to see because that's what this era of marvel was it was all it was a lot of tongue in cheek things with reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I, I guess I should just say too, like um, the, it, for what we're describing is like what it, it does is like, it's, it's almost like a uh, sentient, like AI, like talking to us about like the narrative structure of the story. And it says like, please hold for cliffhanger and stuff like that. Like, you know, it's like just like little, little cheeky things. Like, you know, that's kind of fun, but yeah. So we jump in and we are hanging out with Hank Pym, AKA the original Ant-Man and Janet Van Dyne, AKA the Wasp, but it's their uh, classic time. So the sixties or, or, or 20 years ago in Marvel time, whatever that is. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, so Hank and Jan, uh, they're out on a date to the movies and they're seeing a new film called uh, the Submariner versus the Fantastic Four. This is an actual issue of Fantastic Four. It's issue nine to be exact, mm-hmm. um, uh, which I love because Namor buys a movie studio because he's bored and the Fantastic Four go broke and they get kicked out of the Baxter building. So they try to make it in Hollywood. 
and they can only get a job with Namor. So they shoot a movie where they end up like actually fighting him and stuff. And it, it's it's amazing. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. <laughs> but, so Hank and Jan are like going to go see this movie in the theater and they're enjoying the movie. And but uh, some kid behind them starts throwing popcorn at him. And Hank is uh, particularly pissed. The kid whose name is Eric O'Grady uh, runs out of popcorn. So he goes to get more. What do you think of this being Eric? Are you familiar with Eric? Yeah, Eric O'Grady yeah, yeah. becomes the, <laughs> okay. it was like the irredeemable Ant Man. Yeah, like honestly, it was so wild, like that. It it makes so much sense, like when you as you're writing this. Yeah, you have all the notes laid out for you, and you can easily put those pieces together. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you're looking at it, like it's a clever way to tie this like web of ant-man mantle together yeah i really like it this book does a a cool job of like literally making all of them like more related than they were before you know like like it's it's perfect because like the guy in the theater or the kid in the theater is a shitty person yeah he's terrible yeah no actually eric being in this book is the whole reason i had max on because we did uh we did the irredeemable ant-man way back on like episode nine of this show and like and, and we just had like such a, a weird time reading that book because we were just like oh man it's like it's kind of funny for an issue but then it's like you're just fucking miserable because you're with the shit bag the whole time <laughs> and you're like <laughs> but yeah like i think eric works pretty well i'll talk about that as we go on but i think eric kind of works pretty well in this story because he's not the main focus you know <laughs> but like but yeah so Hank is uh, basically he's pissed. And uh, when Eric leaves to go refill his popcorn, he pretends that he has to go to the bathroom. He follows Eric to the concession stand. He shrinks down and makes a bunch of ants swarm Eric, making him run out of the theater. And when Eric runs out, there's a mysterious figure um, like outside, you know, on the street uh, who hears him like yelling about ants, which makes the guy think literally in a speech bubble. Ants, huh? Well, if there's ants, you'll find the ant man at last. Time to use this here wrist-mounted radio transmitter to signal the others for our revenge. And I'm like, what a perfect distillation of this era's dialogue. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's like, it's everything about this era. Like when we were reading all the word balloons on covers and like Dick Tracy was talking into a watch. It's fucking brilliant. And I love it. I remember thinking... And to, I, I didn't even mention this when I recorded it with Brett and Max, but the first page when we go back in time in this issue where it's like, you know, the classic like, you know, Ant-Man versus his biggest foes or whatever. And it's like a dramatic page, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, like I thought that when we were jumping back, this was one of those issues that was like it had like, you know, a modern day like setup, like a coda at the beginning and a coda at the end. Sort of like what we talked about when we did X-Men God Loves Man Kills mm-hmm. with the Claremont, the the uh, the extended cut or the director's cut edition or whatever. I thought that they were doing that and they just had like a reprint of an old Ant-Man issue at first <laughs> until I realized like Eric O'Grady's there. And I was like, oh, the, oh, OK. Like, you know, I, was like, I really did. I was like, I was like, this is very convincing. Like, you know, yeah, like, <laughs> if, like if and if you don't know anything about Marvel, you know, comics and recent stuff like you can literally be fooled into thinking this is all reprinted material yeah instead of it all being fresh yeah exactly yeah so but so back in the theater uh the poor concessions worker is like oh no there's ants everywhere what will i tell my boss and whatever and uh so hank enlarges and is like let me help and uh he gets the ants to leave the worker goes to get her uh autograph book when a voice calls out to hank by name and it's the future scientist from before. Hank is reasonably freaked out that some guy knows his secret identity. But the guy is like friendly enough. And, you know, he he just kind of like scans 
like the ants Hank is using and thanks Hank for his help. He then leaves outside where Hank follows. But instead of finding the scientist, Hank gets hit by a paralyzing fluid from a spray bottle. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> I literally was like, like, is he getting hit with bathroom cleaner? Because, like, I guess that's how you take care of ants in the house. So, yeah, it makes sense. I had a joke where we recorded this before where I said, and who and who is wielding this dastardly weapon? Why, he's the phony window washer who kidnapped scientists for an alien overlord back in Tales to Astonish 41, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a real a real guy yeah. who was in those issues. And uh, long story short, Hank is taken out by three of his old foes who have teamed up. We got the window washer guy, a guy named Trago, who has a magic trumpet, and a guy referred to as the Time Master, who is not like a time traveler. No, <laughs> um, he, no. He has a ray gun that artificially ages people and things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, that's, that's so, plausible, yeah. I guess. Yeah. So those three take Hank to an apartment because that's their base. Because that's where they that's where they hang out <laughs> these days. Base. And Hank meets their leader, who's a guy named Gerald Marsh, who was an enemy of Ant-Man called the Protector. The Protector is just some dude who had a protection racket that Ant-Man foiled. That's it. There's nothing more to it than that. Yeah, because <laughs> Ant-Man was very street level in this era. So, yeah. yeah. We talked about this actually a little bit as well. Um, Brett had an interesting point where we were referring to, because Brett has actually read, that's one of the few comics he's actually read is like classic Tales to Astonish Ant-Man. He had the Essentials collection and he used to read it. And so like he brought up a good point where he was like, Ant-Man lives in this strange place like in those days where it was... He was like a transitionary character from science fiction to the superheroic stuff. So he really toes the line there. And it's really interesting when you think of him in that way, because it's like, oh, he could have easily just been like a pulpy sci fi hero or something, you know, like it's like it's I mean, (laughs) his 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 makeup makes him a sci fi superhero. Yeah. Yeah. But like they didn't really have him doing all that in this era. Yeah. Because they transitioned real quick when superheroes started to take off during the Marvel era, you know, so it's like but yeah, it's just just an interesting thought, you know, (laughs) it puts this whole book puts Ant-Man into perspective for me but yeah it's uh you know so basically the the protector he's gathered up all these old ant-man foes and dubs them the antagonists and (laughs) and and their plan uh i guess is they want to kill him but like like slow so they can all use their powers on him and stuff (laughs) so so first up is a trago starts playing his trumpet at hank and it puts him into like a world of physical pain you know he's like he's like "Ah, i can't move or i'm just every second is a is an hour of pain or whatever and um trago also says things like daddy-o and stuff like that and it's it's kind of funny (laughs) i mean essentially he's literally being tortured by ska (laughs) which is kind of offensive to me as (laughs) Someone who is like, you know, a big Aquabats fan and everything. <laughs> Hank is not a fan. No, <laughs> no, no, clearly. But uh, so Hank's only hope is to transmit to some ants in like a desperate plan, which happens to work um, because we cut back and we see poor Janet is in the movie theater, like just wondering where Hank is when she sees some ants on the ground. They can't the, fucking spell. They can't spell. They're trying to spell help and they spell it H-L-E-P or Lep. whatever. Yeah. Help. And uh, but she gets it, you know, and so she she shrinks down and becomes the wasp so she can follow Hank's trusty flying ant steed. And uh, steed leads her to like the block where they're holding him, but they don't know exactly where he is. A burglar, though, ends up opening a window in the apartment complex and they hear Trago's trumpet, which Wasp recognizes from the previous adventure. So Wasp like 
cuts to this burglar. Well, and, tell him who the burglar is. Yeah, yeah. So so she so she goes, she's chastising this burglar and stuff. It tells him, like, you got to stop your criminal ways, but you probably saved my man by, you know, like, <laughs> opening this window. So I'll, I'll let you slide this time. She smooches him on the nose, and the burglar thinks to himself, that tears it, Mr. Scott Lang. It's time to move back to Florida. And I'm like, I like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, like, I, like, yeah. I mean, it's a little... It, it, in terms of like like the aging and stuff, yeah. like they would be like you have to buy into comic book aging, but like the reality is like if you're thinking more in terms of Michael Douglas, Paul Rudd, like the aging throws you off. Yeah, yeah, it it definitely does. But you know, I mean it's it's one of those things where I'm like sliding time scale, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean fine. it's it's Batman Dick Grayson aging. Yeah. If if Scott in like the modern continuity is supposed to be like, I don't know, thirty five or something <laughs> 40 maybe i don't know his cassie's kind of old now she's probably like 17 or 18 or something yeah like that in, I, books, so. in comic books she's <laughs> you know she was young avenger yeah cassie. yeah so she'd have to be you know at least late teen yeah and she's like his sidekick now too so yeah it's like I, I think she's like 18 or something like that i, I would i would guess but you know well whatever <laughs> so, but yeah so uh jan finds hank and they have a hilarious fight and take out like all these bad guys. Uh, the protector, like, you know, he like almost escapes, but Hank follows him out and gives him a good pow. Uh, while Jan and Hank watches the police take them all away, the future scientist guy, he appears again. And Hank demands answers. But before he can answer anything, the rectangular portal from before appears beneath both of them, transporting them through time. And Hank lands in this future. Confused, he asks what's going on. And the scientist now brandishing a helmet proclaims, I am the Ant-Man and I need your help, Dr. Pym to save the world of tomorrow from the deadliest menace of yesterday. And so <laughs> I wanted to ask you, since that's the end of the first issue, what were your impressions of this issue? Since you said you were, you no, were, no, yeah, like, were I, too hot on it. No, I mean, because in general, like I don't really like Hank Pym as a character. It's, it's, and I don't think anybody would blame you. It's sort of like the, <laughs> you know, the constant, the whole thing of like, it's, it's always a constant redemption for Hank Pym in some way. And the thing about like overall, this whole series will show you like Ant-Man except for at the very end as a mantle is really just a race to the bottom between different people. It's yeah. crazy, but you Scott know, even kind of almost directly says that at the end too. Like it, yeah. <laughs> he says something along those lines, you know. And like I'm I really had to be like, okay, like it's it's a, it's well made, it's well done. It's just doing a character I don't really care that much about. Yeah. So I was just like, all right, I'll, you know, I'll give issue two a shot and see like where that goes. And then issue two actually kind of tells you like, all right, the trajectory of where this is going and it makes it a hundred times more interesting. Like this, I was, agree. Th like this was too much of a joke to me and for a character that I didn't really care about. But then issue two puts the whole world to it. And yeah, it's good. this one I will say is like, uh, obviously, like issue one, it. It introduces the mystery, but it's it's pretty light on the actual yeah. plot. So like um, I can totally understand that. And if you're not a digging on like the the quirkiness of the 60s Marvel kind of like retro speak and stuff like then I could see it being like, what the fuck is this? You know, but yeah, like, no. and, <laughs> and, and that part and like that part is fine. Like I enjoyed yeah. that part, but like, like I couldn't do four issues. of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand. Yeah. If it was four issues of that, I would. But I, I knew from like the covers that I was like, it's not going to be that. Yeah. Like I was like, you know, it's 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 clearly going to change. But um, so speaking of which, the next issue is called imposter syndrome and it stars our boy Eric O'Grady. <laughs> so and, and that's cool because I thought they would go in like the order of Ant-Man. Yeah, yeah. You think they do Scott next, but no, they save him for like the modern story, yeah. which is kind of interesting. But I'm a uh, dude. I got to say, like, 
right off the bat, I texted Max immediately when I opened this issue. I was like, dude, we're immediately treated to the art style and recap page from Irredeemable Ant-Man. It's so funny to me. I don't know why. Like the the ant is telling, you know, the recap like he did in that series. And he's like, (laughs) you know, just just like, hey, you know, when they used to do this in Irredeemable Ant-Man, like, well, I'm I'm this I'm that ants like, you know, grandson or whatever. And like (laughs) stuff like that. It's it's really funny. Like he's he's and he he gets us up to speed on Eric, you know, who he's a piece of shit and whatever. And um, we're basically jumping into the halfway point of that run where Eric runs away like he's discovered by S.H.I.E.L.D. like who he is. And so he runs away and he's like in hiding trying to figure out what to do next. So we cut to Eric and he's holed up in like a hotel. He can't shrink because he doesn't have access to pimp articles outside of S.H.I.E.L.D. like he was living on the helicarry before so he could get them, you know, or whatever. Um, but he doesn't see like many options like uh, as to what to do that don't so great yeah don't end up with him dead or in jail basically so like that is until he accidentally activates the ai in his suit which tells him that there was another ant-man scott lang who in continuity at this point was dead so what does eric think to do (laughs) raid scott's corpse in hopes that he was buried in his suit that may still have a pim particle hit this, in this, it. This reminds me, before I forget, I got to invite you to my uh, funeral birthday party. And I'm not kidding. Like, I'm going to do that. We'll, we'll get to that part. Let's just go on <laughs> but then we, we then jump to Hank Pym from this time, or should I say the scroll that was pretending to be Hank Pym at this time. We can go over scrolls and secret invasion really fast. Um, so scrolls. Shapeshifting Aliens premiered in Fantastic Four issue two, and they've been like constant antagonists in the Marvel Universe forever. We've discussed them on the show a little bit, but we haven't done like a full blown story with scrolls before. But at this point in time, Bendis, Brian Michael Bendis, the writer, was setting up a big old story called Secret Invasion. And that was where the scrolls had infiltrated Earth. They had replaced a bunch of superheroes and like, you know, they can like copy powers. And they they also it goes a little deeper than that. They like copy like, the, you know, their mental state and their thoughts and stuff like they actually think like these people, you know, and it's like treading this weird line. And, um, you know, before they reveal themselves to like, you know, take over the world and stuff like that. So Hank Pym was a scroll at this point or that was retcon later when irredeemable Ant-Man was coming out we didn't actually know that <laughs> so it was like so kirkman who wrote that series obviously didn't have any hints towards that mm-hmm. but this knowing this retroactively ewing's like i'm gonna play with that you know and do something with that so this is scroll hank not real hank he's worried and he's thinking that eric is actually competent and he must have discovered something off about him. That's why that's he ran why he's away. on the run. Yeah. yeah. And and so he thinks Eric could be like a threat to the scroll plans and opts to search him out himself. So this is like this is a pretty fun little retcon into that story. It fits really perfectly. It does. Yeah. And like it's so uh, we catch up with Eric who has found Scott Lang's grave and uh, he makes some ants start to dig it up, which is take it forever, which is a classic move. You know, he always makes the ants work hard for him, but he just sits and watch him do stuff. Uh, but <laughs> then all of a sudden uh, the future Ant-Man guy shows up. And he scans Eric's uh, worker ants like he did Hank's earlier. And uh, Eric freaks out thinking that he's like there to take him in. But the future Ant-Man says he isn't that. Yeah, I'm not here for that. And he, and he says he has no interest in the distant past. And Eric puts it together that he's from the future. And he asks him, like, he's like, when are you from and uh, what are you doing? And the man is like, oh, it's best not to, you know, let you in on historical events that could be dangerous. And then Eric says major historical events like the news. Who cares about that? I want to know about the important stuff. And then we cut to 30 minutes later and Eric is asking the man about the ending to the TV show Lost, <laughs> which, which is which is a pretty great moment. <laughs> it is. And it really like it sums Eric O'Grady up as a character. <laughs> it to really does. Like like when Kirkman 
created this. He was just out to create a total shit. Just a shit bag. <laughs> and, and, he, and he did to his point. But like here, you kind of more get more of that. Like, oh, like not only is, a sh- is he a shit bag, I kind of like a- appreciate how much of a shit bag he is. In, in small doses, Eric O'Grady works really well. Yes. <laughs> like he's fun. And it's like you love to just be like, what a fucking dick, you yeah. know, whatever. But like, but yeah, like, like we said on our Irredeemable Ant-Man episode almost a year ago now, like we were just like, man, reading him forever, like just him as the, our point of view character for like 12 issues straight is fucking rough. <laughs> but like, and it makes you real uncomfortable sometimes. But, you know, in this, like I said, I think he's really fun. <laughs> but he like, uh, but the future Ant-Man is, is really funny at this point because he's asking him about Lost and shit. And you could tell that he's just like skimming like the future Wikipedia article. <laughs> and he's like, are you sure this is what you want to know like it's like it's a really it's a great sequence so the future ant-man you know after that he he leaves through a portal and uh, it's here that eric is uh immediately attacked by scroll hank who's dressed up as ant-man eric still can't shrink to fight him but you know his suit is more advanced so he can like target him with like you know the suit capabilities mm-hmm. and stuff like the his 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 like leg rocket things and stuff that he has scroll hank he basically puts two and two together though at this point and realizes that eric is digging up scott for pim particles i i love at that realization um yeah when he's like when he realizes it and he's like but i'm still and he thinks to himself but i'm still gonna kill him obviously and then he says out loud but i'm still gonna take you in yeah yeah that's really good yeah but like i love when he realizes it too like the instant because he just enlarges and he's like he's like eric o'grady what the hell are you doing like jesus christ like he's like <laughs> Like, so scroll Hank is like, God, you suck, Eric. <laughs> and, like, and Eric. And Eric rebutes that by saying, he's like, no, he's like, I'm a, I'm a great ant man. I just need some fresh pin particles. And when he says that the suit generates them for him because the suit it, they can do, can do it, that. It can and do his voice synthetic, activated. Yeah, yeah. synthetic pin particles, and <laughs> which is another great sequence. I really like that. And like, so the fake Hank is like, well, I might as well kill him. So they fight until the uh, rectangular portal comes again and takes eric away and eric lands in the future where a hand reaches out to him saying that they need his help and eric blasts the person which turns out to be hank pym and the issue ends with a giant yellow hand reaching over the bodies of the future ant-man and scott lang to grab eric so this issue um i didn't mention it up top because i i I know i said we got the uh, recap page from irredeemable ant-man but at this point i was so impressed after that issue with tom riley and jordy belair's work i was like Dude, like they emulated that perfectly. Like I, I, well, I mean, <laughs> like the Phil Hester stuff. Yeah, I was like, it's, it's it's crazy, like how good, like how good it comes off. Like you don't, if you don't look at the names on the book, you think it's drawn by a completely different person. I mean, yeah, and like, and you know, upon like real close analyzation, you can see obviously there's there's Tom Riley traits to it where it's like, it's his own thing. Like the faces aren't exactly like they're more his, you know, Mm -hmm. like in, in aspects of like all of the eras that they, that he draws them. But like just the way that like the panel structure, like they really thought about this shit. And like, and and I mean, obviously Ewing's to credit for that as well. Like, you know, obviously he was like, you know, this map it out this way, whatever. But like, it's just so well done. Like I was like, (laughs) I I mean, what's really honestly impressive about all this and like get into it later, but the amount of research that has to be done to do a story like this. Yeah. Like to pull out all the little odds and ends and play with them and tell people exactly at what point in time you are referencing. Yeah. Without putting a bunch of editor notes on it is fantastic. And like two, it's one of Ewing's biggest strengths, I think. And, you know, artistically, like the through line actually reminds me a lot of what, like when we saw Chris Samney on Daredevil, 
Yeah, it's really it does good. look like that. Yeah, the, the future stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was saying um, uh, when I talked to Brett and Max about this, how one of the qualities I really like of like the future Ant Man style stuff is um, is the fact that it's like a uh, it's t- the technique where they take away the outlines. Yep. So it's like the Samurai Jack kind of feel, you know, where it's like it, it just gives it like this kind of like reverberating kind of like glow feeling to it. It's really cool. Like I I, I really dig it. But yeah, so um. We're on issue three here, which is a Scott Lang's issue. And um, uh, we actually start this issue. We get an origin for Black Ant, which this is like the best explanation for Black Ant I've ever given or I've ever seen. I should have just waited for this issue to come out to explain it to Max, because I feel like I did a really terrible job before when I was like trying to explain like what happened like to Eric afterwards. But yeah, we talked about him briefly. But Black Ant is an evil robot version of Eric O'Grady. Uh, he replaced Eric after he died. He does evil stuff for hire. He hangs out with Taskmaster, you know, whatever. <laughs> and like, and uh, he was created uh, by an entity known as Father, um, which is like slightly referenced here. Uh, but we see Black Ant basically like recapping all this stuff and uh, he's breaking into a facility and then we cut straight to Avengers Mountain. And this is where we're like, we're in modern continuity, baby. <laughs> so yep, you see the big uh, celestial, uh, cel- yeah, celestial in the mountain and, uh, and yeah. Thor and Iron Man hanging out. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, like, but yeah, so uh, we, we, you know, go to Avengers Mountain and uh, Thor and Iron Man who are discussing what to do with a recently captured Ultron, which uh, this happened in Tony Stark, Iron Man, the Dan Slott series. Uh, where he battled Ultron towards the end. And um, this is also Hank Pym infused Ultron, by the way, which I think I talked about in the Irredeemable Ant-Man episode as well. Basically, Ultron in a Rick Remender written original graphic novel with some great art by Jerome Opinion. Ultron fucking attacks or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and then and then at the end of the climax, like Hank fuses himself with Ultron to subside his rage. And they are in a singular entity that has sort of popped up in continuity over the last eight years since that happened. <laughs> and uh, and I actually kind of enjoy Pimtron um, when he's utilized. Like I particularly liked him in the Nick Spencer uh, Secret Empire. I think it's like issue four of that series where he comes in and like he, yeah. he, he has got a great issue in that. But um, he hasn't really been used that much. <laughs> <laughs> like just like maybe three times I could count. Yeah. Um, and that's hard for me to like read anything Ultron anymore because it all always kind of felt like eh, it's the same goal. They've kind of done plan. the same thing. And, yeah. and especially and, after like that age of Ultron comic oh book God. series. Which that one's rough. It was rough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I, I didn't want to have any more with this character. That's some rough stuff. But and the thing is, too, is like I feel like the whole Hank Pym being infused with Ultron thing could yield some decent story potential. They haven't really done much with that. <laughs> <laughs> Ewing does more with it in this than I feel like anyone's ever done. <laughs> but like, but yeah, so like, anyway, they have Ultron captured in like this magically sealed uh, containment pod that's made out of vibranium. And they, they basically, the plan is to keep him in this pod and then throw him into the micro version of the microverse. Like they're like, we're going to shrink him in the microverse so that he's you know, a fucking in, infinite speck. I, I guess like, you know, you can't shoot him into space because he'll come back but if we throw him into nothingness then he shouldn't come back theoretically exactly so they call in scott lang our modern day ant-man and uh, the second ant-man chronologically and uh, his daughter cassie who goes by stinger now it's like his partner they because they have access to hank's old labs where they can basically achieve this goal of shrinking ultron wait wait, wait. yeah look at that face of scott lang his daughter you're telling me that is the same guy that in the (laughs) 70s or whenever issue one takes place 20 years ago 20 years ago lifted a window 
uh, yeah, like maybe he was supposed to be like eighteen. Then. Yeah, <laughs> that's the only explanation I can think. But he, that, he he looks twenty six there. <laughs> He's got good genetics. Yeah, okay, <laughs> he did Not, come back to life. He did. That's right. That's right. <laughs> he, and when you come back to life, you automatically get aged down ten years. Yes, so I get, okay, that's true. that makes sense. Now. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, they're like, okay, we're here and we're going to help. And Thor and Iron Man get called away on an Avengers mission, and uh, Scott and Cassie basically decide to handle this uh, Ultron thing themselves. Uh, it's worth noting at this point too. During their conversation, Cassie is a. Uh, is like, Dad, like, you know, you you deserve more respect than they give you. Yeah. You know, which is kind of a Scott Lang trope of the thing or, or you know, of recent years. Um, uh, I really enjoyed the Scott Lang Ant-Man book written by Nick Spencer. That was a really fun book. Um, <laughs> but like, uh, this is basically that. And uh, Scott's like, yeah, you know what? Like, you know, yeah, let's do this ourselves. Let's show them that we're competent or whatever. And um, at one point, though, during the conversation, Cassie is like, you're Ant-Man, you know, and Scott hears Ant-Man echoed because some other voice is talking to him. Like, but he thinks it's just her. So Scott and Cassie, they fly on some ants across New York to get to Hank's old lab. Uh, we see the future Ant-Man, like scan their ants from a building below, like he has all the other ones. And Scott hears uh, the other voice calling to him again. And uh, they get to the lab and it's revealed to be Ultron in the pod communicating with Scott, even though it's like supposed to be soundproof and stuff. And it, <laughs> Ultron says it's a uh, it's bug speak because Hank Pym is in bug Pym speak is, yeah. and they can all communicate that way. Uh, so Ultron tries to convince Scott that, you know, he's Hank. And uh, he, he's like, I got it all under control. Like, just let me out of here, you know? And Scott doesn't buy it. Uh, it's then revealed that the facility Black Ant broke into at the beginning of this issue was also Hank's lab. So he's there and he holds, uh, he jumps out, he holds Cassie hostage and um, he has the Time Master's ray gun from the first issue, you know, in his hand. And uh, Black Ant, says like he's been communicating with Ultron for some time and Black Ant basically just like relates to him and wants to be like his lackey. He's like, oh, we got to follow the leader. You know, I'm a, I'm a bug or whatever. It's all bug theme. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, Ca- Cassie escapes Black Ant's hold by enlarging. They all fight for a bit, but like in the chaos, Black Ant hits the pod with the ray gun aging it by what he says, I think like a million years or something. The pod disappears in an explosion of energy and the gun is left defunct and useless. So black ant like tries to get away, but Scott communicates with some spiders to catch him on the way out because he's the best ant man (laughs) and he can communicate with other things. (laughs) Um, uh, But yeah, like I love that too, because it's like a little, like it's a trick, like where it's like, you think it's Spider-Man. Like you just see the web come out, but then it's like, oh no, it's just like literal spiders. <laughs> but yeah, so Scott basically feeling like he really screwed this one up, uh, tries to figure out what to do from here. He starts to examine the aging like ray gun, but he is quickly grabbed through the rectangular portal by the future Ant-Man and taken to the future where he sees uh, Hank, like the past version of Hank being attacked by a yellow entity. Scott recognizes it and says Ultron, to which the entity responds, that's all Father Ultron to you. It's, yeah. it's crazy. Like it's, you know, like when you get to the end of this, you you start and you realize like you were taken into like a flashback of a flashback because you start with the, the heist, which is a, a great counter because, you know, Scott Lang's whole thing, like to the audience, the general audience now at large is that, oh, like he was a thief and he was this. So like he does a lot of heist stuff. Yeah. And like at the beginning, you essentially like, you know, you get flashback to a heist that's happening to him and you don't really realize it until you get to the point where they're all in the lab. And then you then at the end of the issue, you realize, oh, okay, well, this whole issue takes actually place before the issue you read previously. Yeah, because Eric comes and they're all there Mm -hmm. already. Yeah. So it's it. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's interesting. Honestly, it's like it's it's 
it's really great story, great non-linear storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Ewing ties it all together very nicely here too. So uh, is this when we we jump to the fourth and final issue, and that uh, cues us in on the Ant Man of the Future's origin, and his name is Zane Asgar. Uh, we also get this like crazy comprehensive timeline of what Ultron did to end up as like the All Father Ultron in this future. Uh, there's like a bunch of like fake issue references and stuff like this is like issue like 4000 something of Thor and stuff like that. And uh, I found this really interesting because um, uh, we talked about it a little bit, me and Brett and Max, but um, uh, this is kind of a Hickman poll. Hickman set up this Earth like where Ultron becomes the all father of Asgard, like in the, his Avengers run when Cap has the time stone and he keeps being pushed into the future. And like he ends up in a time where That's that right. happens. So this is a Hickman poll, but Ewing is taking that and elaborating on yeah. it in a way of like it being like a real timeline. So it's kind of fun, you know, but and he also obviously in this fake timeline stuff, like he adds a bunch of stuff too. <laughs> I mean, he had but to yeah. because yeah. like, like in that, in Hickman's run, it's literally just, you know, it's one issue. It's like, one, it, it's, yeah, yeah. Like it's, like, it's, it's just like a flash and it's like a cool idea. Like he just kind of threw out there, but it's, it's not like explored exponentially like this because um but basically what happens is like ultron takes the power of the all father and asgard at some point he takes over asgard conquers earth destroys most organic life and uh, enslaves like all of the remaining humans but then there's a rogue doom bot that's left over that like summons avengers from different times to displace ultron in time and they succeed and like the calendar resets to au which stands for after ultron which is what we saw at the beginning so like but and there's oh god max brought this up too but there's this really cool like descriptor of like how it was two time displaced thors using two different mjolnirs to like trap ultron between like seconds in time so he's like in this that, that's just fucking cool. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, there's some shit in comics, like, when, when Ewing and people like Ewing and Hickman pull stuff like this, where it's like, you just give me a sentence like that, and I'm like, that's fucking awesome. I love that. <laughs> you know, like, but, yeah, so. And it's actually pretty perfect because you can do all these, like, just shit that's cool and you don't really have to like explain or elaborate no, on it's just you a can get away with it it's, it's just great. a cool idea to throw yeah. out there like you know and if someone wants to do something with it like ewing is doing here cool <laughs> you know like whatever but if not it's just a cool thing and like nothing wrong with that but yeah so like the remaining humans on earth basically in this time attempt to rebuild and bring back its biosphere to make it how it once was and zane is born almost 50 years into this era so he has you know he's growing up and he has like an aptitude for nano robotics and an, he has an obsession with the work of an old earth scientist named Hank Pym. So Zane creates what is called the nano ant swarm. And let me just read. This is the page I had. Let me just read this info dump here because <laughs> I can't explain it any better than it just says it here. It says info detail. Dr. Zane Asgar is the inventor of the nano ant swarm. Inspired by pre-Ultronic hero myths, Asgar uses his creation to combat paleo capitalists and disaster opportunists as the Ant-Man. Info detail. The nano ants can break down solid matter, reconfigure it, or even create it from stray atoms. The nano ant swarm is a failure in its original purpose. Intended to restore the climate, it cannot adequately replace organic life. Dr. Asgard turns to cloning, successfully recreating thousands of extinct ant species. However, the cloned ants lack generations of evolved instinct. Rhetorical question, can they be trained, and how? And that's why... He's on this mission to scan the ants. Scan the ants and to get see the, how... ant, the ant man controls. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, he wants to travel, scan all the ants in the past. See how they're controlled by the ant man. He uses Dr. Doom's time machine, which explains the rectangle, which I love. 
now, that's just a nice little continuity pull. Now, he isn't exactly like allowed to do this, but he sees no other option. And that's that that old Ant-Man hubris, it's, you know? Well, <laughs> so, no, it's, it's literally Ant-Men being like really not great people. There's always the hubris like line in there, you know, it's like it's 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 like he's just the the version of Tony Stark that doesn't turn it around and make it okay in the end. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like that's what Ant-Man is. You're like, <laughs> yeah, you're oh, you're like Tony Stark, but without the personal growth. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Like, you just everything just ends up bad. No, but so we see Zane uh, get back to his time with the data. But this is where we see. All Father Ultron followed him because uh, his traveling through time, which was, you know, like I said, kind of forbidden, showed Ultron how to navigate the time stream and come back. So now is where we catch up to the battle that's been happening. So uh, we see it from the very beginning, too. Like he brings Hank in first, who supersizes Zane's ant swarm to like human size to fight Ultron. And it works for a bit, but they realize that it's not going to it's not going to do the trick, you know, and they need backup. So he pulls in Scott Lang. Scott sees Ultron holding Pym, like we saw at the end of his issue, and uh, he goes giant size and just decks him. And I really like Scott's reaction here, too. I'm not a fan of Hank Pym, <laughs> but like, <laughs> but but Ultron is talking like major shit on Hank. And Scott comes to his defense and he says Hank's a bigger man than Ultron will ever be, you know, and like and he he's I like that Scott respects Hank as like a guy, even though he sees his faults and everything like that, you know, it's like I it's like at the end of the day, it's like he was he helped Scott. He was good to him, you know, and like and stuff like that. Yeah. It's well, like- <laughs> I mean, because his biggest thing is like he's always seen Hank as like if he can still try, then I can still try. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. He's like, if Hank can can still hold his head up and, yeah. and, and get keep up going. in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Be a like, character in the Marvel universe that people fucking absolutely hate. And he's like, my life can't be that bad. <laughs> I'm the most liked Ant-Man somehow. Yeah. <laughs> but as, as Scott like fights Ultron, um, he almost gets through cause he's like yelling at him, you know, and he, and he's trying to appeal to the Hank side. Cause this is still Pimtron after all. And he's saying like, you know, if Hank was really in there, like he'd, he'd use the all father power to free himself from Ultron and Ultron like, almost breaks a little he mm-hmm. freaks out a little he has the classic ultron freak out you know for a second and uh but you know basically ultron version takes over and continues to fight he wrecks scott and zang leaving hank by the time machine and uh you know hank in desperation hits the button and eric gogrady comes through <laughs> who we saw once he comes through he immediately blasts hank and is confused ultron starts going after eric who talks trash on ultron for a bit and it basically inspiring ultron to use his magic abilities and he unleashes like a lovecraftian demon <laughs> and and eric like frantically flies around i gotta say too that first like image of um i, I brought this up before but um uh, when ultron tries to grab eric and he flies up. There's that one panel. And it's not like incredibly noticeable in the issue, I noticed. But when I was reading this digitally, it zoomed in on the panel. It's really cool. <laughs> like him like flying up. It's like this like weird little like pop art, like icon type piece, like in like one panel. It's yeah. it's, it's cool. <laughs> but, but yeah, like basically at this point, Zane comes to and wakes Hank up. Hank says that he was playing possum to try to figure out something. And uh, which is a classic, you know, 60s <laughs> Marvel thing. Stanley loved having them use the phrase play possum. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he notices the aging ray because Scott was holding on to it when he came through. And so Zane sends his ant swarm to the gun, which can repair, like we said before, uh, any, non-organ- any non-organic, yeah, non-organic technology. technology. So Zane and Hank 
plan to try and age Ultron to inhibit him, but they're stopped by Scott who like comes to and he explains uh, what happened. So they know that they need to de-age Ultron. They don't need to age him. It's just going to get fucking worse, you know, <laughs> if they do that. So, um, so Ultron gets a hold of Eric and is about to kill him when the other three Ant-Man step up. And I love this moment too, where Scott asks if they are sure that this is going to work. And Hank responds, I've been told I suffer from hubris, but maybe that's part of what it means to be Ant-Man. Because when you're the world's smallest hero, the best thing you can do is think big. And then they blast Ultron and it works like the day is saved. Eric tries to take credit for making a distraction, which is funny. And because uh, <laughs> he just sucks. But uh, and the book ends with this nice moment where like all four Ant-Man just kind of hang out. And I like the little moment right at the end where Zane is like, hey, like you guys got to get back and you, you can't be talking to each other. You can't know anything, you know, and, and, and Scott then says this is what I was talking about before, <laughs> where he says, uh, we'll be careful. But there's a lot of tragedy in the life of an Ant-Man. So all of us getting together like this is kind of a unique moment. Uh, and Zane responds, Zane Asgar. And you're right, of course. Time will take care of itself. And I think Ant-Man has all the time in the world. Then the issue title proclaims Ant-Man Forever. And that's the end of Ant-Man Antiversary. A little sentimental at the end. It is, sen- it is <laughs> sentimental. It's, it is like because it's an anniversary thing and it's it's never claimed to be anything other than an anniversary yeah. thing. It can be sentimental at the end, but like that sentimentality didn't really like it didn't belong in any of those eras. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I And I I mean, I like it. And I kind of I kinda like it. It, makes, it. it literally kind of puts Ant-Man in a different perspective for me. And I I would say, like, I like Ant-Man as like a concept, but I it's not it's never been one of my favorites. I made this joke with Brett when we talked, but I was saying how I always think of Ant-Man in this really funny way, because when I got really into comics and the first like modern series that I read that like just blew me the fuck away was Matt Fraction's uh, Invincible Iron Man. Mm. And so when I'd be reading that, like going to Brett's room because we used to live together and uh, I'd be like, dude, like this is so crazy. Like I was like a Tony, it's like he like relapsed and he's going through all this shit. And I was like, I didn't know that comics could be like this. This is amazing. And then Brett would be reading fucking tales to astonish and just be like, dude, he retains this. He retains the strength of a normal man when he's an man size or whatever. I'm impressed by like, by, by this. Yeah. <laughs> it's so great. But like, Ant-Man, Ant-Man for that kind of reason, and and the Nick Spencer run with Scott um, kind of holds like a special place for me. You know, I, I I like Scott as a character. I like Ant-Man as a concept. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess we're in overall thoughts here. But like uh, to me, this story like for Ant-Man is like this is just like pure fun Marvel comics distilled into like a tidy little package. It's like they took a story about four different characters, gave it some pin particles and yet it all stays on track and it's just a fun time. Like Ewing to me. And and I said this a little bit before, but like I truly believe Al Ewing is the master when it comes to using longstanding continuity. Like he sort of does the impossible, like where in satisfying like longtime readers while not alienating new ones like at all. I mean, like I like I don't feel like anyone would really be lost in this. It's like maybe they didn't know about some of these Ant-Man, but like he adequately explains them, I think. Like, it's it's impressive to retain that level of knowledge about character about a character that I would go out on a limb and say like at least 70% of Marvel fans could care less about. Like it is it is impressive to do that and to lay out all these little uh, bits and pieces without the use of an editor, because there's no editor notes on any of this. Yeah. Like 
you know, there's no see this issue, see that issue. He just nope. he just does he it. Did it himself. <laughs> and to and honestly, like you know, has it made Ant Man my favorite character? No, not at all. No, and I, I don't think it. I don't think it's gonna. I don't think it's gonna do that for anyone necessarily. But 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 it does. Like I, I said, mean, like kind if of, if you had Paul Rudd read this out loud, <laughs> it would probably make some people like Ant Man's. You know, Ant Man they make their favorite character. But like. But but to be, you know, to be fair to this, it's really well done. It does make me see this character in a completely different light, because I honestly like when you think about it, how many characters out there are really a mantle that gets passed down? I mean, there's always Clark Kent has mostly always been Superman. Peter Parker has mostly always been Mm Spider-Man. You know, Bruce Wayne has mostly always been Batman. Like this is one of I really like maybe a handful of characters that like. Okay, this is a mantle. It has been passed down and these people are continuing forward. Like there's no going back to Hank Pym being Ant-Man. It's strange how like Ant-Man has retained not necessarily relevance, but like a place, you know, like it's like someone at Marvel is always there to be like, yeah, but what about Ant-Man, though? (laughs) You know, like and it's like it's kind of like endearing in the way that it's just like Ant-Man is such a fucking kooky ass idea. But like it's it's kind of integral to like Marvel superheroes. Like, you know, it's like, it's, he's a founding Avenger for fuck's sake. You know I mean? Like, it's like, he's he's a founding Avenger. He's there. And not even just Hank, but it's like just Ant-Man as a character has, is there on all these pivotal moments. You know, it's like, I mean, like he's a founding Avenger. He's, you know, one of the first characters they really gave a really, the, the shitty wash to like, well, no, this is a character that, you know, people aren't going to care about. So we can muck him up. To like <laughs> to tell these other stories that are like that you touch on these real things and like, oh, we need somebody to create the next big Marvel villain. Who can we get that's not going to pay the price in <laughs> popularity later on? Well, Ant-Man. there's Ant-Man. Yeah. Can I just say real quick, too, because we mentioned Secret Invasion earlier. One of my ironically favorite because it's just like such a missed opportunity is <laughs> the fact that in and it's obviously established in this book, if you didn't know, that Hank Pym was one, at one point in time replaced by a scroll. At the end of that series, Janet, the Wasp, actually sacrifices herself. She dies. I mean, she comes back, but <laughs> but, but, but uh, she dies. And Hank comes out of uh, the prison pods where a bunch of characters come out, the real versions of them, where they were being kept by the scrolls. And it's implied that some of these scrolls have been replacing these people for years, like a really long time. And I thought for sure they were going to take that and be like, hey, you know all that bad shit that Hank did? Oh, it was a scroll. It was a scroll the whole time. He hasn't been around since like 1964 or some shit. (laughs) Like, you know, and it's like and then like just have him on like this kind of like living with what did the scroll version of me do? Like, what the fuck? That would have been so interesting and totally redeemed him. And they just did not do that. They were like, nope, (laughs) he still he still did all the shitty stuff. You know, I'm I'm sure like that was probably an idea at some point. But that also kind of takes away. It kind of takes away every facet of his character. I yeah. Guess. Like, and it, it like for all his faults, it's his faults that make him whatever level of interesting people find him. It is kind it is kind of what makes him interesting. To, so yes. to take that away from him <laughs> is kind of like it's it's a disservice to him in a way, even though at the end of the day, you won't like him as a person. Yeah, no, I agree. There's some good stories that have come out of like, you know, just Hank's inadequacies, basically. Yeah. You know, I mean, like at Rage of Ultron that we mentioned earlier. 
I really dig that story. I think it's really cool. And like, you know, just because they haven't really adequately used Pimtron since then, like, I mean, it, it's still, it's an interesting character study of him. I, I would highly recommend it if, uh, if you're interested in Hank Pym, at least. Yeah. E- even but. in like the ultimate, uh, universe with, with Mark, Mark Millar, um, when, you know, he makes them, he makes Hank and Janet, you know, Hank's much more of an abuser. He's that. much more of an abuser. Yeah. They're divorced and she's out like banging Captain America or whatever, which, yeah, <laughs> yeah like that's kind of like how it would go in the non or in the real world of Marvel or whatever. But, you know, to like overall, I'm I kind of now want more Ant-Man. Yeah. <laughs> like he's never going to be my favorite character. Did you um, did you ever read any of the Nick Spencer I Scott read the, like I I so I read the beginning of Nick Spencer's run when he put Scott Lang back in Florida or on the way back to Florida. Yeah, I kind of fell out of it because it didn't. I don't know. Like after like about four or five issues. Yeah, there was just other stuff coming. Well, that in. series that series is funky because it started and it only made it five issues before Secret Wars happened. Yeah. So it got one of those, the end issues where it like showed the last days or whatever of Scott Lang, like before the world fucking ended. (laughs) And like then when everything's rebooted or, you know, restarted, that series continued in a book called Astonishing Ant-Man, which went for like, I think like 20 issues or something like that. Like it's a, it's a, it's a decent chunk of a run, but, um, it's, it's just fun. I I really like those first five issues though, pre Secret Wars, because, uh, I even have, I have them or issue five signed by Spencer because uh, it makes a Zoolander reference. And that was one of the first comics I remember being like, this was made for me. No, but, <laughs> but, but, um, but no, that's it. I highly recommend that run for a lot of people just because Scott is the easiest Ant-Man to get into <laughs> because he's the most likable, you know, but um, he's, he's definitely the most palatable Ant-Man, but to me, the most interesting Ant-Man is Eric O'Grady. Eric is, I, like I said, so, I, I really like Eric in this story and stories like this. And when even when he shows up as Black Ant, I like him because he's like a side character. But like, like I said, reading that Irredeemable Ant-Man series, man, I don't know. That shit's no, no, hard. You, you can't finish <laughs> that series all the way through. Yeah. <laughs> Kirkman, Kirkman was onto something. But did you ever read World War Hulk when it was Hulk versus Eric O'Grady? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that was that's in that run. Yeah. A good issue. That's like, where he almost redeems himself. Because he's not. Bit. He's not. It's like it's like watching wrestling. You know who's going to win. But the, <laughs> the, the but the trick is to make you think that this other person has a chance and the way they like end it, you know, with, with him uh, walking away from being able to walk away from the Hulk really good. Like, yeah. And it makes, and it like, it shows how interesting an, an Ant-Man can be in terms of like how they use their powers, because to be fair, Eric probably gets it the most because all of Ant-Man's powers should be, only used to do nothing but bad shit. Like when you can control ants, when you can control ants, what else are you going to do? You're just going to send them after people. That's it. I, I remember when, um, in that issue, when he's hiding out in the helicarrier, there's yep. a point where he's just like literally hanging out with the ants and he's like making them like a race and stuff like that. And he's just like, Ooh, yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Like he's just having a good time. I don't know. He's, he's, he's funny. And like in those retrospective moments. And like I said, when he's used in a story like this, where he's not like the main focus, I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm like, Oh yeah, he's, he's he's fun you know like it's like because he's just such a shit bag you know but like but yeah i i don't know i mean like you know ant-man i think that's that's credit though to the the mantle of the character is just the fact that like 
all these characters kind of have interesting stories and they're all so different from each other that it's I don't know, like and putting a, a fucking microscope on it like this story does is like it just kind of makes you like almost reminisce for something that never really was. Yeah, <laughs> you know? like, no, no, like- that's, that's actually a perfect <laughs> analogy for it. But, you know, like, do you think that you get this if Paul Rudd had never come along? Because the entire reason there's any kind of Ant-Man popularity like why he is a thing when you see the avengers land at disneyland is because paul rudd is so fucking likable as a human being yeah that he went to play this character who is still like he doesn't really he's not turning him into anything other than a shitbag even in yeah. like the quantum mania trailers when he's out there hawking a book that tells all the Avengers secrets or whatever, like he's being a bad person. And Paul Rudd has never gone away from that to his credit. It's just that Paul Rudd is so damn likable. Now you're like, ah, that rascal. Yeah. Like, like, oh, like I wanted to know more about this. Yeah. And I don't think you get to really do anything this fun and likable with Ant-Man unless Paul Rudd exists. I would agree only mostly because I don't even think that Scott, would be ant-man in the books if it weren't for the movie like you know i mean like because granted okay he died and um you know eric had his had his time uh you know with the erdemo ant-man series and then he was part of the initiative and then part of captain america's secret avengers after that he dies he's turned into a bad guy technically because of black ant and that was the fucking legacy of ant-man at that point scott was alive before that um, because uh, the young Avengers go back in time and save him from being exploded. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but Scott, I think when he comes back, though, he's not wanting to be Ant-Man. Like, he's just like, I'm done and yeah, I'm just going to be he, a dad. He learned how he died. And yeah. Yeah. And the only reason like that Nick Spencer run comes about is because Ant-Man movie got announced, you know, <laughs> like so it's like Ant-Man, got, Ant-Man movie got announced. Paul Rudd is Scott Lang. You have to have Scott Lang be Ant-Man. Yeah, like, exactly. If you if you want to synergize with the audience that you're trying to like get into comic books. Yeah. You have to give them the character that they recognize. Exactly. And they did. And he's still our Ant-Man to this day. Granted, he doesn't have a solo series right now, but uh, he is the Ant-Man right now. And he'll um, be the know. Ant-Man until <laughs> somebody else is Ant-Man in a movie. Yeah. Maybe Cassie. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they'll do the stature thing and it's fine. Yeah. She'll get a series out of it. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. We're really, uh, really going at it at the, the ideas of Ant-Man, but, <laughs> but yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's good though. That's what this story I feel like should do and, and, and wants to do, you know, but, um, let's talk about real quick. We mentioned it a bit ago, but Tom Riley's art and Jordi Belair's colors. I think this is just awesome. I love the style shakeups on every issue. Um, each one does it. It's done in like near perfection. In my opinion, it's, it's not an exact copy, but it gets the, tone right of every single one (laughs) like it really does it i already said i I really like the the future stuff too like the original like version of art at least used in the fourth issue in the codas of each one you know like i said the the technique used with the taking away the outlines and stuff is really cool um you know and i'm just i'm just like a sucker for all the little winks and nods at like the continuity you know like of the stuff and like it and making it look like you know how it looked in those stories that i've read and um uh, but yeah like what what would you think did you have any standouts on the art i or, mean uh, like, like i really well, it's two things i think jordy belair is probably the best colorist working in comics right now she I, she's up there with um uh tamra bonvillain to me 
like yeah, a, like yeah. they're they're both like and I, I and i mean like it's it goes generally generationally because i mean you have well it's more and it's more in the modern eras that you really um know who's behind that stuff but like you know say like early 2000s i would say you know Steigerwald and uh, Alex Sinclair. Yeah, Alex Sinclair. Yeah, that was going to say. Yeah. And, um, and then you you transition and you go through periods where sort of like the technology changes and sort of more techniques get brought in. Yeah, people like Brad Anderson and like all that stuff. Yeah, and so now you get people who like kind of really mastered um, all avenues of it. The, the, kind of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and I think now we're just really starting to see that. And I think that Bel Air is probably like the best of them. This, this, I always liked Jordi Belair's colors. I, I, I will say that, but I'll be honest. I didn't, I didn't really think that until this book. And I was like, that's impressive because it's like unlike the irredeemable ham and stuff. It's like the fucking palette is, is thicker and like, and it's like, there's so much attention to that detail that I'm like, she, she got it. Like I was like, she, she got every single one. Perfect. Like, and, 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 <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I'm like, I, and I'm hard pressed. Like I can't think of one book. Cause I, I think the stuff that she colored for, for Samney, like Samney is already a, a great artist to me. Yeah. Oh yeah. And like, and I see uh, when they work together, his stuff is very distinctive from stuff that he does without her. Yeah. And it's it's just like, honestly, it's very much and I, I hate to say I hate to use the word assist, but it really does. It makes the person drawing the book so much better because they bring so much more to the table. Oh, yeah. And, th- and that's not discounting Tom Riley at all. Like this is the first real series I think I've seen Tom Riley draw. And I was like, holy shit. You know, like I was like, this is great. Like, and, and I'll definitely be on the lookout for more of his work in the future. You know, <laughs> I was I, like, I was blown away like by how good Tom Riley is and how like, it's a name that I like seen in artist alleys and places, but I, never- lo- I looked up the, the, the past work and it's, it's really been just like sporadic things, you know? And I've just been like, Nothing like too long of a run or anything either. Like it's always just like little things here and there, mm-hmm. and like you know. But it's like, uh, but after seeing this book, I'm like, dude, that Tom Riley gonna be going places, you know. And like, I guess I should even mention too, like uh, uh, the the cover scheme. Those are done by Riley as well. Mm-hmm. And like, I love those covers. Those are awesome. Like, uh, I, oh, that's. I mean, honestly, I don't think there was any other cover you could have done for this <laughs> yeah. type of book. <laughs> Like they, they nailed it and Marvel isn't always great about doing special things with their covers since the nineties. I mean, like, do you remember all those civil war half covers? Yeah. That was really fucking weird. Yeah. And <laughs> it's I, a weird aesthetic. <laughs> yeah. So like to actually, you know, use their artist properly in something like that, it's really refreshing. Yeah. I was, I was slightly disappointed that cause I'm the wasp series that is following this up the Wasp miniseries that Ewing is doing, I was kind of disappointed to see that Tom Riley's not doing the art. He is doing the covers, yeah, <laughs> but, but he's not doing the art, but the art is, is good. There's only one issue out right now, but, um, yeah. uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's good. And it's a way different kind of book, you know, and, than, but I, uh, it makes sense because I don't want him to just, Oh, just do the same thing. Yeah. Do no, the same I, thing over no, and over. No, like, I don't, I don't want him to either. And, and, but, um, but yeah, I was I was partially excited for that series because I thought, oh, Tom Riley's doing the art again, you know. <laughs> did that, but it's not Tom Riley, but it's uh, it's it's good though. Yeah, I don't know. I can't really say much more about the art other than just like 
reviewing it again because, you know, like I said, I already recorded this episode technically, but I looked over it again and I was just like, man, like this is Jordi Belair, Tom Riley. Great team. It is. A, <laughs> like, it's, it's a good art team, honestly. And on it, really, you bring the series brings all these elements together in a really great way. Like yeah. this. It's strange because Al Ewing writes something that's really like you need somebody that can do all these styles. Yeah. And I think clearly like he knew what he had and he knew what he can get away with. And it's just like one challenge after another to an artist. And it just exceeds expectations. And all of them like art team and especially Ewing on the writing side make it just seem so easy. Like he just he just molds into that man and it just works so well. That's crazy. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> like, but uh, so couple couple of fun questions here. Uh, I know you said that you thought Eric is the most interesting Ant Man. Who's your favorite Ant Man though? My favorite Ant Man. You know, I don't have like a favorite Ant Man. <laughs> like I I I hate them all, and I think, but I think that's the point of Ant Man. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I can see that. I yeah. like, I like Scott. I think I genuinely do like Scott. I, I think you know, Scott like, in his father moments is the most tolerable. Yeah. Of all the Ant-Man men. But I generally like you're not supposed to like this character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got, I can see where you're coming from. Yeah. I think I've, I, I kind of said it before, but I've always liked or kind of liked Ant-Man as like, as a character, you know, I mean, like I, he he can be he can be kind of fun sometimes and like and, and I've always liked him in the grander tapestry of like the Marvel mm-hmm. Universe, you know, and this story just does a really good job illuminating to me like all sides of the character, you know, like I mean, like it's the good, the bad, the the surprisingly dark and the lighthearted, like fun stuff, you know, I mean, it's a I don't know, I it, just in regards to that. My other fun question was, who would you like to see? Character wise, doesn't have to be Marvel or not even really a comic book character, but who would you like to see get a treatment like this where it's like a generational kind of like story? I mean, like, I mean, obviously these yeah, types yeah. of stories have been done, but 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 you're lo- you, but you're going back to the question of like how many characters, characters. Have, have this kind of like mantle legacy that is actually a mantle that gets passed on because you try to do it with Batman and you can only go so far before the audience is like, no, I want Bruce Wayne back. Yeah. Like here. But even just doing like a, a story where it's like, what if Bruce Wayne through time shenanigans encountered uh, the time when Dick was Batman or, or an Asriel, you know, and then like, and, and it's, that, <laughs> but, that, but see, that does not sound like something I want to read. Yeah. Because there's so, <laughs> That's a bit more miserable. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's miserable. Honestly, I think really the only character that I would want to see through the generations because it used to be Wolverine before um, before essentially Miller did it through well Mark Miller did it through the times where he was on Wolverine yeah but I I think like generationally I think uh, really I think Rorschach really yeah just be interesting just because there's so much history in the back or there's so much alternate history in the background of the world that Watchmen is set in to really do it like justice. Like if, because, you know, and Jeff Johns clearly showed that like, you know, Jeff Johns and Tom King clearly showed that, you know, Rorschach didn't have to be the same person underneath the mask. Yeah. Yeah. It can, it can be taken in different ways and whatnot. Yeah. It's a, I mean, yeah, no, that would be a really interesting one. I didn't even really consider that. I remember Brett landed on a good one, but we weren't even, we went outside of comics pretty far there, but he was talking about like James Bond's 
and stuff like that. And I was like, that's kind of interesting. It you is. know, I was like, and I, and I think James, <laughs> that's basically like what they do in like, uh, in the last Spider-Man film where it was like, you know, you bring them all back and have them all hang out, you know, or whatever. And, but, like, you, but you'd have to acknowledge at that point that, okay, you've been watching multi-dimensional James Bond yeah. movies versus or James Bond is a code name and not the actual name or something. Yeah. Know, like, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, there, there's plenty of stuff. I don't know. I just thought it was a fun thought experiment to be like, who else would I want to see do this? You know, it's like, I, I don't know. It's just, it's just kind of an interesting thing. I mean, what was yours? I, I couldn't really come up with like a really good one. The most I thought of was like, and, and again, they've done this, you know, technically, but not really. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I thought of like, what about like Golden Age to Silver Age to uh, modern day Superman or something like, you know, and granted, they've met before yeah. via crisis and things like that. So I understand that. But like just getting like a generational story where you get to see the dichotomy of how they all think and yet how they all relate type of thing, I think would be interesting. I, I think that's always been done on like, oh, the world is ending. It, yeah, but but I mean, more just something like this where it's like it's just it's fun. just a fun and romp. It, like it's thing, fun you know? and it like it's means, more about the interactions. Yeah. And in the short term means nothing like it's just. Yeah, it's just fun for you to read. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think that's been done to or I don't think that's been done, like I said, where, you know, the world wasn't ending because you do see a different side of Superman when, you know, things aren't when he doesn't need to be like absolutely perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it'd be interesting to see him interact with someone because, I mean, you get that sometimes when he in stories where, you know, he'll he'll find someone else who was who's like him or a Kryptonian, you know, or whatever. And like, of course, half the time they end up being a bad guy or whatever. But it's like, you know, but but there is that like moment where it's like he's like, I have someone I can relate to, you know, and it's like that's 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 always cool to see. You know, I mean, I don't know. I think that that would just be a fun one just to see like a fuck. I'll take just a, one issue of those like three different Superman talking to each other, <laughs> like just just a conversation. It's like whatever. But I think but I think really like James Bond is probably the perfect one. Because, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Because like, you know, what like what would Sean Connery say to Daniel Craig kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. It's like. And, and then like Roger Moore or whatever. Roger Moore. And it's like and then you have so much of like Bond did really sexist and shitty things in this era and you had to clean him up for this era. So we can't say like, or sometimes a woman just has to be slapped. Yeah. You can't say that. Uh, yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All the modern James Bonds are like, what the fuck? Yeah, like, they're like, whoa, <laughs> we just have sex with the women. We don't. Yeah. No. James. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, man. Well, okay. Well, um, uh, so Ant-Man Antiversary, is it a pull or a drop for you? No, I definitely would tell people to read this. Yeah. Especially, yeah. especially if you like it's strange because really this is for people who have no interest in Ant-Man. And that is mostly everyone. <laughs> it's crazy yeah. that this book gets away with that. Yeah. And it's just fun. I mean, like I would hand this to someone if they if they genuinely if they come out of that new Ant-Man movie and they're like, I want to read an Ant-Man book. I'll be like. Read this. One. Read this. Exactly. Because there is no real like there's no real. There's no Dark Knight Returns of Ant-Man. Yeah, there is. <laughs> there's no Ant-Man. I mean, Ant-Man. This is Ant-Man of Future Past. Yeah. Um, you know, there's no crisis on like. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's there's no seminal like killing Ant-Man joke to hand people afterwards. Like this is as close it's, as it's going to get, I think. And, and I think it's worthy of that. I think, I think it's it good. Is. Yeah, yeah it's totally. Like, I, mean, I agree with that. But yeah. And just for, just for uh, transparency's sake, 
Brett and Max both pulled it as well. <laughs> they both liked it. I, I can't. So, I know. So, I I can't imagine anybody not liking this. Like, yeah. Like if I if so, I was back in the days where like I had to review comics, so I would have probably made this one of my top picks of the year. It was good. I really enjoyed it. I have no complaints. It's just a fun story, and it just like reminded me of like just fun Marvel shit. Yeah. No. <laughs> and, like, and like the, there's so much of like when I when I think when i was done reading it and i asked myself like what did that make me feel what did the, what is the experience that i got it was literally it's just unexplainable because like issue one i was kind of like eh, this is like this is well made but then don't really find myself wanting or needing more that's kind of where max was too because he's just not like a fan of like 60s dialogue you know yeah, and no, stuff like that and, and, like, and that was all fine but brett, I, brett yeah. fucking loved it <laughs> I, but I, uh, yeah and but i but i but you kind of were like okay if four issues of this i don't know that i could take that and then you know you get pulled in and when it starts to actually pull back the information on the mystery you're like okay this is good like i'm on board and i want to know how this ends yeah like i have i can't remember the last time i picked up a number one of a series didn't like it and then came back and was like, okay, yeah, this is really good. I yeah. see what the talk is about. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I, I could see that for people who, like, you know, if you're not really sold by the first issue, like, definitely read the second one at least, you know? Like, it's a, it, Ewing is great at pulling shit together and, and he just does a, he does a great job. Totally. Um, but yeah, well, David, thank you for doing this uh, redo with me. Hopefully this one ain't deleted. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. No, there will not be a third redo. Of there this. will not be a third yeah. redo. I don't I don't have enough people. I don't no. have another person. But so thank you, everybody. Uh, there you have it. Thanks for listening. If you want to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash none of my friends like comics. You get bonus podcasts, movie commentaries, and we uh, get this show early for as little as a dollar a month. And it's never expected, but always appreciated. Follow the show at Twitter at no comic friends for updates email the show at none of my friends like comics at gmail.com if you mark it okay to air we'll read your message on the air if you like the show tell your friends and family who might be interested to give us a listen we are on anchor spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, and stitcher thanks again for listening and we will see you on the next page see ya